there are some days that God just blesses us, and there was one day where that was going on in my life. I returned home from the store with it, I washed it, and then for the very first time in my life, I experienced frozen chicken nuggets and french fries that actually tasted good. I had bought an air fryer, and little did I know at the time that it would change my life. Uh, so I, I went through, and I was raving about this. I was raving about it to my wife, and I'm like, it's, you don't understand. Okay, it's not fast food level good, but it's, total, it's totally better than microwave chicken nuggets because I'm never the guy that's going to preheat an oven to 325 and bake chicken nuggets for 20 minutes. That's not the point. If you're, you don't do that with frozen chicken nuggets. You're going frozen chicken nuggets. You want them in a hurry. So, but if you microwave frozen chicken nuggets, then they're all soggy and they're just not that good. Enter the air fryer, it changed our world. Well, my wife wasn't yet a believer of this. And so a couple nights after I got the air fryer, we were in a rush and we were talking, what are we going to do for dinner? And we were hungry. I'm like, I'm going to throw some nuggets in the air fryer. And she's like, how long does that take? And I'm like, 10 minutes. She's like, that's ridiculous. I'm just going to microwave mine. I said, you can make yours however you want to make your nuggets. But I'm telling you, if you eat them out of the air fryer, they're going to be a lot better. She's like, whatever. So she microwaved her chicken nuggets. And then for dinner, she had her old soggy little chicken nuggets. Eight and a half minutes later, I pull out these crispy, crunchy, but not burnt chicken nuggets. Just, just delicious. And, and being the husband that I am, I offered her one and I put one on her plate just because I wanted her to experience how delicious they were. It had nothing to do with me wanting to prove I was right. Nothing to do with that at all. I just wanted to share the goodness that I was experiencing. And so I gave her one. And in that moment, her mind was made up and her world was changed too because she experienced the air fryer as well. The reality is in life, you can live your life however you want. You can make whatever choices you want to. You can do whatever you want. And it's absolutely infuriating for a lot of parents and grandparents to understand that reality, that they can't make the choices for their kids. Nobody else can make your choices for you. And you can live your life however you want to. That's the reality of life. You can live however you want. But in the same way, you can make your chicken nuggets however you want to. And if you microwave them, you're going to be left with some soggy little chicken nugget that you don't even enjoy. But if you throw them in the air fryer, it's amazing and good. If you will live your life according to the principles that we're going to talk about today, I promise you, this is a path to the most fulfilled, the most blessed life you could possibly ever imagine. Now again, you're free to make your own choices. And I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you how to live your life. But I can promise you, if you will live your life based on what we talk about today, you are setting yourself up for the best life ever. Why? Because this isn't my opinion. This comes straight to us from Scripture. So I'd encourage you to follow along with us today and put these things into practice in your life to experience the most rewarding, fulfilled life you could ever possibly imagine. We've been going through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and that's where we'll be again today. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free app that you can find 
in the app store that you utilize, just called the Bible app. And once you've downloaded and installed it on your device, there's a number of great features within it. But one of the features is called events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201, 54201. And there Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is what we're going to look at today. And if you're joining us via the stream, thank you so much for joining us this morning. The verses will be available on your screen below as we continue to look at King Solomon and what he wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we start this morning by reading verses 1 through 3, where we read these words. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. You might hear those words, we just read them, you might read those words, and you might think to yourself, oh, you just talked to us about living the most fulfilled, the most beneficial, the most blessed life possible, and then it sounds like Solomon at best is really depressed and at worst suicidal when we read these words. So what is going on? What are you talking about? Is this really the best life? Is this what we have to look forward to? Is this what you're getting at? Because he sounds pretty miserable here. What's going on? We have to understand what Solomon's talking about. The first principle is this. When you live a solid life, when you live a solid life, when you do what you say you're going to do, when you make wise choices, when you make good decisions, you live a solid life. You build a good reputation. When you make a promise and you fulfill that promise, when you give somebody your word and you follow up and actually do what you said you were going to do, when you meet the deadlines you say you're going to meet, when you conduct yourself in this way, you, you live a solid life, then you build a good reputation. And when you have that good reputation and it's built on a solid life, then your legacy is one that is honored. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to love you. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to appreciate you. But more people than not are going to look at you, and they're going to see there is somebody who, who's a person of integrity. There is somebody who makes wise choices. There is somebody who lives their life in a certain way, and they can appreciate about that. And then that starts to build a reputation. Again, it's not going to be universal. There will always be some people who do not love you, who do not understand you, and who do not appreciate you. And the sooner you recognize that fact, that there's just going to be some people who don't like you for whatever reason and move on, the happier you will be. So we're not talking here about universal love and acceptance and praise. That is never going to occur in this broken and flawed world. But if you are consistent, if you make wise choices, if you make good decisions, if you operate your life as a person of integrity, you build a good reputation, and that is how you build a legacy, and a legacy that is honored. Then when people think back and, and think of who you are, you aren't a punchline, you aren't somebody that, that's just made fun of, but people look back at you, and they honor who you are, they honor, they honor the person that you are, that is how you build a legacy. It's built one day, one decision, one choice at a time. And then Solomon points out this fact that we all recognize in our lives, but we don't like. And it's this reality. That more is learned through adversity than through ease. 
We learn more through adversity than through easy times. And I wish this wasn't the case. I do. But that's not how the world works. And I guarantee when you think about your life and you think of the major life lessons that you've learned, oftentimes those lessons are accompanied by pain. They're accompanied by a, a broken relationship. They're accompanied by a decision that didn't pan out well. They're accompanied by a diagnosis, what, whatever the case may be. But oftentimes, the things that make us the strongest, the things where we learn our greatest lessons are adversity. They're not moments of ease. It's not where everything is clicking and everything is going smoothly and, and life is easy. It's just the opposite. That adversity is an invitation for us to grow. And Solomon here is reflecting on that fact, that all the major life lessons that most of us learn are not learned through times of ease, but instead are learned through situations and seasons of adversity and suffering. And it is ultimately these times that bring about the most growth. They shape us the most, and they help us become the people God intended us to be. Doesn't mean we have to like it. I'm not a fan of it. But it's just the way the world works. That adversity, adversity brings about growth more so than easy times. He continues, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Solomon says wise people, they don't run from adversity. Wise people don't run from adversity. And when the hard times come, one of the tendencies that, that we want to go with is fight or flight. And oftentimes, we, we want to go with the flight. But the same principle of surgery applies here. But no one looks forward to surgery. There's pain involved with surgery. But the trade-off is the instant pain that you're going to experience from surgery is beneficial and that it's going to save you from more pain and more suffering down the line. So it is with adversity. That God uses the hard times. God uses the tough seasons of our lives. God uses the adversity that we face. And he uses it for us to grow and to learn and to develop. And so wise people, they don't run from it. They don't flee. They're willing to stay engaged. They're willing to learn those hard lessons. They don't just try to mask it. They're willing to go through it. It's better to listen to critiques of wise people than compliments of fools. It's better to listen to critiques of wise people than compliments of fools. Have people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth. And the truth is this. Not everything you do is perfect. Not, everything you, not every choice and decision you make is a great choice or a great decision. And if you surround yourself with an echo chamber who just constantly tells you how incredible you are, how amazing everything you do is, and how every choice that you've ever made is great, you hinder yourself in the long run. Surround yourself with people who are willing to love you and who are willing to tell you the truth. Who are willing to speak the truth into your life even when it's not convenient 
even when it's not fun to hear. And the problem is most of us love, we love to hear compliments. We love to be praised. That feels good. But if it's empty, it's not valuable. It's like eating junk food constantly. It feels great, but it's just empty calories. There's no sustenance there. We need people in our lives who love us and who value us and who are willing to compliment us, but also willing to critique us in a loving and kind way. And be wise about who those people are, by the way, in your life. Don't listen to everyone equally. Everyone's opinion is not equal. There are wise people and there are fools. So weigh Weigh the information that you get. Don't count it. Weigh the information that you get. This is one of the reasons why we'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to hear, hear people's thoughts. I'd love to hear people's, people's thoughts on what's going on at Lakeside. I'd love to hear people say, hey, we, we love this, or hey, why do we do this, question that, or even, even criticism of, I don't understand why we're doing this. I don't think this is the right call to make. And, I, and I'm willing to hear all of that unless it's anonymous. And then if you, if you write something anonymous, whether it's it completely, completely positive or completely negative, I'm never going to see it. And the reason I don't see it is because I don't know the source. I don't know the source. You can tell us whatever you want, and we hope you will. But you got to attach your name to it. Make sure you have people in your life who are willing to tell you the truth. Even the hard truth, the truths you don't necessarily want to hear, but need to hear. It's been, it's been said, and, and I, I did not come up with this quote, but I love it. The trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. The trouble with most of us is we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Make sure the people in your life, in your inner circle, are not just an echo chamber, who don't just tell you all the time how wonderful and awesome and incredible you are, but who are willing to speak the truth in love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Make sure you have those friends in your life. And by the way, Solomon wishes this wasn't the case. He wishes that you didn't have to learn more through adversity than easy times. He wishes that we were all just self-aware and we didn't need people to come and speak the truth into our lives. He wishes that all this wasn't the case, but it's just the reality of the world. He says this also is vanity. He wishes this wasn't the case, but it is. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. The wise hate oppression. There's just something that stirs within their soul that they absolutely cannot stand it. They hate oppression. And as people that love and follow Jesus, we are compelled. We are compelled when we look at our world, when we look at our culture and our society, we are compelled to do something to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And we look at our world and we say, we can't solve every problem. And you're right, we can't. But we are compelled because we follow Christ to do things. We are compelled to get involved, to do what we can. And that's why we have an initiative going on here at Lakeside this November. 
and our goal is to raise $50,000 to cover the budget, but also that we are going to hire somebody to come in and to look at expanding our facilities so that we can continue to be the light and love of Jesus and we can spread that hope to our community and to our region without our apology. And we're also partnering with two organizations, one internationally, one whose efforts are devoted right here in our nation on, combat on combating human trafficking. Because we see what's going on and our hearts break that every soul matters and every person is valuable. And we recognize that some people have been caught up in human trafficking because of choices that they have made. And they still matter and are loved and are valuable to God. And so they matter and are loved and are valuable to us. And some people, because of unspeakable things that have happened in their life, now find themselves in those circumstances and in those situations. And we want to partner with organizations that come alongside these women, men, and children who find themselves in that reality and can help them, help them heal emotionally, help them heal physically, help them heal spiritually. That's our answer. That's our response. We know we can't solve every problem ourselves, and yet we know that Christ compels us not to turn a blind eye, so we're going to do what we can, and we hope you'll take part in that. It says patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. Make sure you end well. End well. If you're leaving a job, if, if you're handing off a project to somebody else in, in the company, what, whatever you're doing, make sure you end well. Finish strong. Finish well. It's important how things finish. Have you ever gone to a movie that's just a fantastic movie for about 90% of the movie, and then you get to the ending, and it just falls flat? It's just dejecting. You leave com like completely dejected from how it was. Contrast that with a movie that's it's just all right. It's an okay movie for about 75% of that movie. But how that movie ends, either there's an incredible twist along the way that you didn't see coming and it just blows your mind and ends really strong or else you found out that the woman who had to go back to her hometown for Christmas and found the guy who was just standing there under the light post and then fell in love with him for the last hour and 45 minutes of the movie and then it starts to snow and all of a sudden there's mistletoe under the light post and then they kiss and then the credits roll and you're like, yes, this is what I'm here for. And then you're really excited because it's been two hours of your life, but don't worry because another one's starting again and for the first hour and 45 minutes of it, it's not going to be great either, but the mistletoe and the snow and the light post is coming at the end and don't worry you can watch them from now until January there's just something about a great ending there's just something about a great ending someone says finish well end strong don't just mail it in don't just do things up until a point finish well so be slow to anger anger will destroy you it will ruin relationships Anger is what defines the fool. Don't live your life in anger. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Don't romanticize time gone by. 
Don't live in the glory days. Reflect and look back with fondness. Enjoy your memories, but don't be stuck in the past. Don't be stuck wishing you were somewhere else, wishing that, that all your time was back there. Don't romanticize time gone by. He asks, how valuable? How valuable is wisdom? And then he gives us the answer. It's more valuable than money. How valuable is wisdom? It's more valuable than money. And he says, remember this, that God is ultimately in control. And I think this is a great reminder for us, especially on the, on the, the week where we just had some elections, and some of you right now are, are really discouraged because you can't fathom how, how Governor Evers was reelected, or some of you are really discouraged right now because you can't fathom how Senator Johnson was reelected, and so everybody's kind of mad, doesn't matter how you voted, you're just like kind of, kind of confused and, and kind of upset or kind of excited, whatever you might be. And I just want to remind you that God is in control. God is in control of who's in the governor's mansion. God's in control of who's in the Senate. God's in control of who the president is. God is ultimately in control. He's got it. He's got a plan, and he's in control. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. It says God's supreme. God's supreme in the good times. And God's supreme in the bad times. When there is much in your life, God is good. When there is little in your life, God is good. When times are easy, God is good. When times are hard, God is good. God is always good. He's always in control. God is supreme in the good times and the bad. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that, withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Solomon asked the question, why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever wondered that? Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I've wondered that too. And the answer is, well, we don't get an answer. Solomon just asked the question. He says, I've seen it, and it's just a reminder of this broken and this flawed world. But if you're looking for an answer, I don't have it for you. Solomon says, don't be overly righteous. And some of you are like, now that's an idea I can get behind. That, yeah, don't be overly righteous. Like, I can follow God, but compartmentalize it and kind of follow God when I want to and in the areas of my life where I want to listen to God, great, but in the areas of my life where I don't want to really do things according to God's plan for my life, I'll just do them my way. And look, the, the Bible says don't be overly righteous, so that's an idea I can get behind. And some of you are scratching your head right now, like don't be overly righteous. Well, aren't we supposed to be righteous? Aren't we supposed to be people that follow after God's own heart? What in the world does, does Solomon mean here? What what is this? And we have to understand the tone of Solomon's writing here. He's being satirical. 
is when he talks about being overly righteous, he's talking about being aware of self-righteous displays. Being aware of self-righteous displays. Yes, as people that love and follow God, yes, we let people know that, that we follow Jesus. Yes, we live our lives in certain ways. But we don't need to be the people that if we go out to dinner and we decide we're going to pray over our meal, that hush the entire restaurant, stand on the table, and pray over the food that's about to be delivered to us. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus went after people whose, whose religion was all about the show. What Solomon's saying here is, be who you are, be authentic, and don't put on a show. Follow after God, yes, and follow after God in every area and in every way of your life. But follow after God authentically. Don't be putting on a performance for everybody to see. God wants the real deal. That's what it's all about. He says, and don't be overly wicked. Now, you can live your life however you want to live your life. You can make whatever choices and whatever decisions you want to make in your life. You are free to do that. I can't stop you. Nobody can stop you. You are free to do whatever you want to do in your life. Live your life however you want to live your life. That is your choice, and you are free to do it. But Solomon says, if you want to live a life that is overly wicked, congratulations. You're going to die. Now, it doesn't mean that God's going to smite you. I mean, maybe, but it doesn't mean that God's going to necessarily smite you. But it's just a reminder to us that there are consequences for our choices. There are consequences for our choices. And Solomon says, if you want to make a mess of your life, if you want to be overly wicked, you're going to shorten the span of your life. You're free to do so. That's your choice to make. You make the decisions you want to make. That's the result. Live authentically. Live authentic lives that you pursue after God. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have Cursed others. No one measures up in and of themselves to God's standard. It is a standard of perfection. It is past fail. There is no grading on a curve. And congratulations, we all fail. We don't measure up to God's standard of perfection. He says, don't, don't let what other people say about you define you. You are going to be misunderstood. You are going to have people that do not like you. You're going to have people who question you. Don't find your self-worth. Don't find your personal value and the perceptions that other people have about you. Don't allow the thoughts and the viewpoints of others to define who you are. Whether it's insecurity, whatever the case may be, it's so tragic when I see people who have so much to offer, who allow the thoughts and perceptions of other people to place them in a prison, that they build around themselves of other people's thoughts and perceptions. He says, don't do that. 
don't allow yourself and your value to be derived by what everybody else says about you. Because there are people who don't have all the information about you. There are people who think they know you who do not know you. And what's even more, he says, you know why this is so dangerous? To find your self-worth and to find your value in what other people say about you. Do you know why that's so dangerous? Because think of all the wrong things you've said about other people. Think about all the things you've said about others where you thought you had the information that maybe you didn't have. You thought you had the perspective only to get it wrong. The times you have made, made decisions about other people and you've said those things, Solomon says that's the problem. That other people don't have the full picture. And there are going to be some people who have a lot of the picture who just simply do not like us. And we cannot, we cannot live in a prison based on what other people think about us. Because their perceptions are not always accurate. And so I just want to ask the question of how, you, how do you derive your value? How, you, how do you derive your worth? And if it's based on the perception of others, you've built a prison that you yourself reside in. And there is no easy escape. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Solomon reflects on his own desire to make wise choices. All the wisdom that God gave Solomon, he reflects now on his desire to make wise choices and ultimately how he chose just the opposite. He says, why is that? Why is it that I could have all the wisdom and I could still choose so poorly? Why is it that I could have all the information? My life could be defined by so much regret. And then he answers it for us. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. He says, what's worse than death? What's worse than death? And Solomon answers that question. Falling for the forbidden woman. And he looks at his own life as the example of this. He looks at his own life 
And he sees how he had all the wisdom and all the knowledge that he could possibly want. He had all the riches that you could ever imagine. He had all the influence and all the achievements that people dream about. And yet there was a desire within him. There was a fantasy and he just wanted to keep trying to fulfill that fantasy. And every time he thought he could fulfill the fantasy, it just left him wanting more and more and more. And there comes the seductress, and there's the seduction. And I don't know what the seductress is for you. It might be another person. It might be a forbidden person. It might be an achievement. It might be an accomplishment. It might be something entirely else. But here's what I know. Seduction is there. And it's preying on your fantasies. And it's promising fulfillment. Some of you have chased that path through relationships. Some of you have chased that path through career achievement. Some of you have chased that path through material goods. The seductress looks different to us all. Well, she is the personification of evil. And she comes our way. And none of us are immune to temptation. And Solomon had everything he could possibly want and everything he could possibly need, but there was still the fantasy. And he kept trying to fulfill it. And as Solomon looks down, he looks over his, over his kingdom. He says, there's, there's one man. There's one man out of a thousand who got this right. There's one man out of a thousand who got this right. And there's no women who got this right. Now, I know some of you right now are like, oh, that is so sexist. And let me just give you this disclaimer. There was one man out of a thousand. This isn't exactly a badge or an award that we're giving out here to, to mankind. One out of a thousand. And when you think about the thousand women that Solomon was probably thinking of here, he's probably thinking of his 700 wives and 300 concubines who'd all been with Solomon. That one person out of 2,000 he can think of that gets this right. And here's the reality. That God made us in his own image. And yet we all pursue our own desires. That the fantasies that we might chase look different for all of us. But the seductress, the temptation is there. And it calls all of our name. And though it may look different, it leads us all to the same place. This is why we need a Savior. And God has saved us from that. He saved us from the times that we follow after the seductress. He saved us for the times we give in to temptation. But this is also a warning that we would live our lives 
And we can live them any way we want to. That we would live our lives finding the fulfillment that the fantasies promise but never deliver. That all the achievements, they say, that will lead us to be fulfilled, but never do. But no, we would actually find that lasting fulfillment and the only place that we can find it. And that is through a renewed relationship with our Creator. Available to us through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus. And I don't know what you're chasing after. I don't know what seduces you and calls your name. But I know it's something. Or someone. And I want to encourage you. Live your life in such a way that you are the one out of a thousand. You are the one out of two thousand. That you stop chasing fulfillment and you discover it in the only place it really is. Through a relationship with God. God, I pray that we would stop running. We'd stop chasing after every fantasy which promises to fulfill but ultimately leaves us just wanting more. That the seductress in our lives would not gain a foothold. But God, that we would honor you with our lives. We would honor you with the choices that we make. We would live a life of as few regrets as possible. That when we one day look back, we don't have to live in the glory days. That each and every day is an opportunity for us to honor you. God, help us with the choices that we make each and every day. Help us position ourselves to be closer to you. God, be honored and glorified through our lives. And help us, we ask in your son, Jesus' name we pray.